Thank you for standing by. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Amazon.com Quarter 2 2023 Financial Results Teleconference. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Today's call is being recorded. For opening remarks, I will be turning the call over to the Vice President of Investor Relations, Dave Files. Thank you, sir. Please go ahead. Hello, and welcome to our Q2 2023 Financial Results Conference Call. Joining us today to answer your questions is Andy Jassy, our CEO, and Brian Osowski, our CFO. As you listen to today's conference call, we encourage you to have our press release in front of you, which includes our financial results, as well as metrics and commentary on the quarter. Please note, unless otherwise stated, all comparisons in this call will be against our results for the comparable period of 2022. Our comments and responses to your questions reflect management's use as of today. August 3, 2023 only, and will include forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially. Additional information about factors that could potentially impact our financial results is included in today's press release and our filings with the SEC, including our most recent annual report on Form 10-K and subsequent filings. During this call, we may discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. In our press release, slides accompanying this webcast and our filings with the SEC, each of which is posted on our IR website, you will find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations of these measures with comparable GAAP measures. Our guidance incorporates the order trends that we've seen to date and what we believe today to be appropriate assumptions. Our results are inherently unpredictable and may be materially affected by many factors, including fluctuations in foreign exchange rates, changes in global economic and geopolitical conditions, and customer demand and spending, including the impact of recessionary fears, inflation, interest rates, regional labor market constraints, world events, the rate of growth of the internet, online commerce and cloud services, and the various factors detailed in our filings with the SEC. Our guidance assumes, among other things, that we don't conclude any additional business acquisitions, restructurings, or legal settlements. It's not possible to accurately predict demand for our goods and services, and therefore our actual results could differ materially from our guidance. And now I'll turn the call over to Andy. Thank you, Dave. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Today, we are reporting $134.4 billion in revenue and $7.7 billion in operating income, both of which exceeded the top end of our guidance ranges. We're encouraged by the progress we're making on several key priorities, namely lowering our cost to serve in our stores business, continuing to innovate on and improve our various customer experiences, and building new customer experiences that can meaningfully change what's possible for customers in our business long term. I'll start with our ongoing effort to lower our cost to serve in our store's fulfillment network. Q2 saw another meaningful improvement in this area as we have steadily made progress the last several quarters. Central to our efforts has been the decision to transition our store's fulfillment and transportation network from one national network in the United States to a series of eight separate regions serving smaller geographic areas. We keep a broad selection of inventory in each region, making it faster and less expensive to get those products to customers. Regionalization is working and has delivered a 20% reduction in number of touches for a delivered package, a 19% reduction in miles traveled to deliver packages to customers, and a more than 1,000 basis point increase in deliveries fulfilled within region, which is now at 76%. This is a lot of progress. Sometimes I hear people make the argument that Amazon is chasing faster speed while driving its costs higher and where it doesn't matter much to customers. This argument is incorrect. There are two things to note. First, customers care a lot about faster delivery. We have a lot of data that shows when we make faster delivery promises on a detail page, 
customers purchase more often. Not just a little higher, meaningfully higher. It's also true that when customers know they can get their items really quickly, it changes their consideration of using us for future purchases too. Second, when shipments come from fulfillment centers that are closer to customers, they travel shorter distances, which costs less in transportation, gets there faster, and is better for the environment. There's a lot of goodness in that equation. This ability to have shipments closer to customers is the result of a lot of work and invention on the regionalization side, placement logic, and local in-stock algorithms. It's also driven by our development and expansion of same-day fulfillment facilities, which is our fastest fulfillment mechanism and one of our least expensive, too. Our same-day facilities are located in the largest metro areas around the U.S., store our top moving 100,000 SKUs, but also cover millions of other SKUs from nearby fulfillment centers that inject selection into these same-day facilities and have a design that streamlines getting items from order to being ready for delivery in as little as 11 minutes. The experience has been so positive for customers in our business that we're planning to double the number of these facilities. We believe that we are far from the law of diminishing returns and improving speed for customers. While we're seeing strong early results from this regionalization effort, we still see several ways in which we can be more efficient in this structure, and we believe we'll improve productivity further. We've also reevaluated virtually every part of our fulfillment network this past year and see additional structural changes we can make that provide future upside. We're excited about this cost-to-serve improvement, but also remain maniacally focused on making customers' lives easier and better every day and relentlessly inventing to make it so. This means constantly trying to improve experiences that we can deliver to customers short and long-term. This customer experience work is at the heart of what we do every day across every one of our businesses. And I could spend an hour on this call detailing various examples across the teams. For today, I'll just focus a bit on our stores and AWS businesses. For stores, our priorities continue to be providing customers with great selection, low prices, and convenience. And as we've discussed, we've been especially focused on providing even faster delivery speeds. Our speed of delivery has never been faster. In this last quarter, across the top 60 largest U.S. metro areas, more than half of Prime members' orders arrived the same day or next day. So far this year, we've delivered more than 1.8 billion units to U.S. Prime members the same or next day, nearly four times what we delivered at those speeds by this point in 2019. Lowering our cost to serve allows us not only to invest in these speed improvements, but also add more selection at lower price points. In particular, we're growing our selection in everyday essentials, enabling customers to avoid going out to get these items, and both increasing our basket sizes and the frequency with which customers choose to shop with us. We now have more than 300 million items available with U.S. Prime free shipping, including tens of millions of items with free same-day and one-day delivery. We're continuing to focus on providing great value with tens of millions of deals that help customers stretch their dollar more. For instance, in Q2 of 23, we offered customers 144% more deals and coupons than we did in Q2 of 2022. Prime Day was similar. Amazon offered more deals than any past Prime Day event with a wide selection across millions of products. Prime members purchased more than 375 million items worldwide and saved more than $2.5 billion across the Amazon store, helping make it the biggest Prime Day ever. Next, a few words about AWS. AWS remains the clear cloud infrastructure leader with a significant leadership position with respect to number of customers, size of partner ecosystem, breadth of functionality, and the strongest operational performance. 
These are important factors for why AWS has grown the way it has over the last several years, and for why AWS has almost doubled the revenue of any other provider. I've talked to many AWS customers over the years and continue to do so. And while all these factors I mentioned have been big drivers of the business's success, AWS customers tell us that as importantly, they care about the very different customer focus and orientation in AWS than they see elsewhere. As the economy has been uncertain over the last year, AWS customers have needed assistance cost optimizing to withstand this challenging time and reallocate spend to newer initiatives that better drive growth. We've proactively helped customers do this, and while customers have continued to optimize during the second quarter, we've started seeing more customers shift their focus toward driving innovation and bringing new workloads to the cloud. As a result, we've seen AWS's revenue growth rate stabilize during Q2, where we've reported 12% year-over-year growth. The AWS team continues to innovate and change what's possible for customers at a rapid clip. You can see it across the array of AWS product categories where AWS leads in compute, networking, storage, database, data solutions, and machine learning, among other areas. And the continued invention and delivery in these areas is pretty unusual. For instance, a few years ago, we heard consistently from customers that they wanted to find more price-performant ways to do generalized compute. And to enable that, we realized that we needed to rethink things all the way down to the silicon and set out to design our own general-purpose CPU chips. Today, more than 50,000 customers use AWS's Graviton chips and AWS compute instances, including 98 of our top 100 Amazon EC2 customers, and these chips have about 40% better price performance than other leading x86 processors. The same sort of reimagining is happening in generative AI right now. Generative AI has captured people's imagination, but most people are talking about the application layer, specifically what OpenAI has done with ChatGPT. It's important to remember that we're in the very early days of the adoption and success of generative AI, and that consumer applications is only one layer of the opportunity. We think of large language models and generative AI as having three key layers, all of which are very large in our opinion, and all of which AWS is investing heavily in. At the lowest layer is the compute required to train foundational models and do inference or make predictions. Customers are excited by Amazon EC2 P5 instances powered by NVIDIA H100 GPUs to train large models and develop general AI applications. However, to date, there's only been one viable option in the market for everybody and supply has been scarce. That, along with the chip expertise we've built over the last several years, prompted us to start working several years ago on our own custom AI chips for training, called Trainium, and Inference, called Inferentia, that are on their second versions already and are a very appealing price performance option for customers building and running large language models. We're optimistic that a lot of large language model training and inference will be run on AWS's Trainium and Inferentia chips in the future. We think of the middle layer as being large language models as a service. Stepping back for a second, to develop these large language models, it takes billions of dollars and multiple years to develop. Most companies tell us that they don't want to consume that resource building themselves. Rather, they want access to those large language models, want to customize them with their own data without leaking their proprietary data into the general model, have all the security, privacy, and platform features in AWS work with this new enhanced model, and then have it all wrapped in a managed service. This is what our service Bedrock does and offers customers all of these aforementioned capabilities with not just one large language model, but with access to models from multiple leading large language model companies like Anthropic, Stability AI, AI21 Labs, 
Cohere, and Amazon's own developed large language models called Titan. Customers including Bridgewater Associates, Coda, Lonely Planet, Omnicom, 3M, Ryanair, Showpad, and Travelers are using Amazon Bedrock to create generative AI applications. And we just recently announced new capabilities from Bedrock, including new models from Cohere, Anthropics Cloud 2, and Stability AI's Stable Diffusion XL 1.0, as well as agents for Amazon Bedrock that allow customers to create conversational agents to deliver personalized, up-to-date answers based on their proprietary data and to execute actions. If you think about these first two layers I've talked about, what we're doing is democratizing access to generative AI, lowering the cost of trading and running models, enabling access to large language model choice instead of there only being one option, making it simpler for companies of all sizes and technical acumen to customize their own large language model and build generative AI applications in a secure and enterprise-grade fashion. These are all part of making generative AI accessible to everybody and very much what AWS has been doing for technology infrastructure over the last 17 years. Then that top layer is where a lot of the publicity and attention have focused, and these are the actual applications that run on top of these large language models. As I mentioned, ChatGPT is an example. We believe one of the early compelling generative AI applications is a coding companion. And it's why we built Amazon Code Whisperer, an AI-powered coding companion, which recommends code snippets directly in the code editor, accelerating developer productivity as they code. It's off to a very strong start and changes the game with respect to developer productivity. Inside Amazon, every one of our teams is working on building generative AI applications that reinvent and enhance their customers' experience. But while we will build a number of these applications ourselves, most will be built by other companies. And we're optimistic that the largest number of these will be built on AWS. Remember, the core of AI is data. People want to bring generative AI models to the data, not the other way around. AWS not only has the broadest array of storage, database, analytics, and data management services for customers, it also has more customers and data stored than anybody else. Coupled with providing customers with unmatched choices at these three layers of the generative AI stack, as well as Bedrock's enterprise-grade security that's required for enterprises to feel comfortable putting generative AI applications into production, we think AWS is poised to be customers' long-term partner of choice in generative AI. We're also continuing to make meaningful progress in building new customer experiences that can meaningfully change what's possible for customers in our business long-term. Amazon Business is one of our fastest-growing offerings with a $35 billion annual gross sales run rate, and the team is working hard to further build out the selection, value, convenience, and features that business customers need. Buy with Prime is continuing to show a lot of progress. Merchants in early trials who use Buy with Prime saw their shopper conversion increase by 25% on average, which makes a real difference to their business. Also, merchants who participated in Prime Day activities in aggregate experienced a 10x increase in daily Buy with Prime orders during the sales event period versus the month before we announced Prime Day. It's frankly only been a short amount of time that we've decided to invest significantly in the healthcare market segment. A lot of what we tried before were smaller experiments, but we're pleased with Amazon Pharmacy doubling its active customers in the past year, and we're pleased with the response to RX Pass, which enables Prime members to receive all of their eligible generic medications for just $5 a month and have them delivered free to their door. One Medical has been part of Amazon for just a few months now, and we're encouraged by what we're seeing there too. Our grocery business continues to grow. 
We already have a very large business in non-temperature controlled areas like consumables, pet food, beauty, and canned goods that continues to grow as we keep increasing speed and lowering our cost to serve, which allows us to sell more items more cost-effectively. Whole Foods continues to lead the organic grocery space, is growing at a healthy clip, and has meaningfully improved its profitability in the last year. We're pleased with what we're seeing with Whole Foods. And as I've shared before, we're working on new formats in our mass physical store offering, Amazon Fresh, having significantly improved the number of the key business inputs and just rolled out new concepts in stores. We also see substantial innovation and progress in other areas like Kuiper, Zooks, and Alexa. We're still relatively early in many of our investments with technology inventions that are changing what's possible to deliver for customers in these areas, but they're big long-term opportunities that we remain optimistic about. Finally, I want to recognize our teams on being named number one on LinkedIn's top companies to grow your career in the United States. It's a testament to our work to be a great employer with leading compensation, benefits, and upskilling opportunities. With that, I'll turn it over to Brian. Thank you, Andy. As Andy mentioned, we saw worldwide revenue of $134.4 billion, an increase of 11% year-over-year and above the top end of our guidance range. We were encouraged by the strength in our reported revenue, which is another proof point that our focus on price selection and convenience continues to resonate with customers. We continue to see healthy demand across everyday essentials and in categories like beauty and health and personal care, and have seen a positive customer response to improvements in personalization and enhancements to our website and mobile app. During the quarter, we also saw improvements in macroeconomic indicators across our North America and international segments, but continue to see customers trading down and seeking value in their purchases. Delivery speed has been a key area of focus over the last several quarters and we reached record levels during Q2. Prime members love the faster ship speeds and are shopping more often. Advertising revenue remains strong, up 22% year over year. Our performance-based advertising offerings continue to be the largest contributor to our growth. Our teams work to increase the relevancy of the ads we show to our customers by leveraging machine learning and improve our ability to measure the return on advertising spend for brands. Third-party unit mix increased to 60% during the quarter, the highest level we've ever seen, and we're continuing to see good growth in the number of sellers and the units sold per seller. We're making steady progress on improving our worldwide store's profitability. Since North America's segment operating margins bottomed out in Q1 of 2022, we have seen five consecutive quarters of improvement, with second quarter operating margin of 3.9%. This is an improvement of 620 basis points over these past five quarters. One of the largest drivers of this operating income improvement in the stores business has been reducing our cost to serve, with shipping costs and fulfillment costs continuing to grow at a slower pace than our unit growth. Most recently, regionalization is an important contributor. Faster delivery speed from better network connectivity and better inventory placement means less miles traveled and fewer touches resulting in less cost. And while we are pleased with the progress we have made, we see more opportunity to drive improved cost efficiencies going forward. Moving to the international segment. Since our operating margin loss bottomed out in Q3 of last year, we have seen three consecutive quarters of improvement with a second quarter margin loss of negative 3%. This is an improvement of 590 basis points over the last three quarters. This segment also includes our emerging countries. It is important to remember how early we are in some of these marketplaces. 
who have launched more than 10 countries in the past six years and are always evaluating our customer experience as well as our path to profitability. And we like the path we're on. As a reminder, it took us nine years to reach profitability in the United States. In addition, across our North America and international results, inflation headwinds also continue to ease, most notably in fuel prices, line haul rates, ocean, and rail rates. Moving to AWS, year-over-year revenue growth was 12%, with growth rates stabilizing during Q2. We are encouraged by the strength of our customer pipeline and believe having a large, diverse customer base that is mostly cost-optimized sets us up well for future growth. On a trailing 12-month basis, free cash flow is positive and improved for the fourth sequential quarter. Our financial focus remains on driving long-term sustainable free cash flows. The largest driver of the recent improvement in free cash flow is our increased operating income, most notably in the North America and international segments, where, as I said, we've made meaningful improvement in our fulfillment network productivity and operating leverage and benefited from moderating inflationary pressures. We've also seen improvements in our working capital contributions to free cash flow. Over the past couple of years, working capital hasn't been as efficient as we've held higher weeks of cover of inventory in the face of supply chain disruptions. Most recently, as these disruptions continue to ease, we're improving our inventory efficiency, resulting in improvements in our working capital. We will remain focused on continued free cash flow improvement moving forward. Next, let's turn to our capital investments. We define our capital investments as a combination of capital expenditures plus equipment finance leases. These investments were $54 billion for the trailing 12-month period ended June 30th, down from $61 billion in the comparable prior year period. Looking ahead to the full year 2023, we expect capital investments to be slightly more than $50 billion, compared to $59 billion in 2022. We expect fulfillment and transportation capex to be down year over year, partially offset by increased infrastructure capex to support growth of our AWS business, including additional investments related to generative AI and large language model efforts. With that, let's move on to your questions. At this time, we will now open the call for questions. We ask each caller to please limit yourself to one question. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. We ask that when you pose your question, you pick up your handset to provide optimum sound quality. Once again, to initiate a question, please press star, then 1 on your touchtone telephone at this time. Please hold while we poll for questions. Thank you. And our first question comes from the line of Colin Sebastian with Baird. Please proceed with your question. Great, thanks. Um, good afternoon. Um, I guess first on the fulfillment efficiency, uh, we'd be curious if you give us a sense for, for how much of that optimization in the network um, with unit economics may have already been achieved in these numbers versus versus how much more you think is left to left to go. And related to that, um, I'm curious if you can leverage this this reformulated network to help out with the grocery expansion, um, or will that be limited to the stores and the the specialized automated facilities you're building out? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Colin. I'll take that first. Um, so on fulfillment efficiency, uh, uh, we were encouraged again by what we're seeing uh, with regionalization and also the um, uh, efforts to uh, control our cost structure and the some of the uh, inflationary pressures coming down uh, we're still you know 
uh, in that journey though to reclaim the cost, stru the cost structure that we had previously and um, we consider this as a point along the road. So encouraged by some of the uh, margin improvements we're seeing particularly over the last uh, three to five quarters um, but we're still underway. Uh, there's still uh, a lot, a lot to re be regained in our fulfillment area, and uh, the teams are working very hard on it. Um, on the question of grocery, um, you know, I did, uh, as Andy uh, explained at different points, uh, you know, our grocery business has a lot of uh, dimensions to it. Obviously, there's consumables, uh, there's uh, fresh goods, there's whole foods. Um, the uh, same sub same day is probably mostly uh, impacting the first of that bucket, the consumables and uh, everyday essentials. And as as Andy mentioned, we're able to ex expand our selection in those areas because our cost structure uh, uh, can quite frankly afford it uh, when the distances of customer are shorter and the uh, transportation costs are more uh, fixed. You know, I'll just add to that, as Andy, that um, uh, I do think. Uh, there's some optimization and some leverage we get from our fulfillment network, and particularly in the, in the case of being able to inject a number of items into our same-day facilities to increase the number of, of items that people can add at the last minute, even grocery items um, that they can get same day. And I think that you see some of that already. You'll see more of that moving forward. And I also think that you'll see over time that we're going to be able to leverage being able to have uh, people be able to pick up different items from different grocery-like options that are different grocery formats. But it's also true that we have infrastructure to build out in our grocery business that's different and optimized for the grocery business, too. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Mahaney with Evercore ISI. Please proceed with your question. Great. I'll limit myself to one question for each of you. Um, Amazon Business, it's been a couple of years since you've talked about that. It's, uh, there, it, it would seem like there'd be a lot more opportunities, frankly, a lot higher level of, of, um, of sales, bookings, whatever, that you get out of that. So, Andy, just talk about like how big of a priority is that for you, um, uh, and what's the growth strategy? Like, How do you take that to $100 billion? And then, um, uh, on the uh, Brian, on AWS, the last two quarters, you provide a little bit of a look ahead into the uh, into the quarter in terms of the AWS growth, given some of the commentary about moving beyond optimization and into new workloads. Uh, without a, if, if you don't give a specific number, at least talk about the trends that you're seeing versus what you had in the second quarter. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Mark. Let me start with that second question. So, um, Again, if we if we rewind to our last conference call, um, we had uh, had seen 16% AWS revenue growth in Q1, and the uh, growth rate had been dropping during the quarter. And, the, and what I mentioned was that April was running about 500 basis points lower than uh, Q1. Uh, what we've seen in the quarter is stabilization, and yes, you see that you see the final 12% uh, growth. Um, I will stop for a moment and just put that in perspective. So again, last Q2, um, last year we had close to $20 billion of revenue, and we grew that $2.4 billion. So that's well, that is 12%. Um, there's a lot of you know uh, cost optimization um, dollars that came out, and a lot of new new workloads and new customers that went in. So there was um, on our base, it's uh, you know it's a very large numbers. And when customers start to uh, the cost optimization work, um, they can they can um, take some of their spend down for a while as they do that, and we help them do that. 
and uh, it's been part of our DNA ever since we started uh, AWS. So that's all good. Um, what we're seeing in the quarter is that um, those uh, cost optimizations, while still going on, are moderating, and you know, many may be behind us and some of our large customers. And now we're seeing more uh, progression into uh, new workloads, new business. Um, so those balanced out in Q2. Um, we're not going to give uh, segment guidance for Q3, uh, but you know what I would add is that we saw uh, Q2 trends continue into, into July. So uh, generally feel uh, business has stabilized, and we're uh, looking forward to, to the back end of the year in the future because, as, as Andy said, there's a lot of uh, new functionality coming out with, and there's a lot of uh, spend that will be in this area for uh, all the great solutions that are out there for generative AI and uh, large language models, as well as machine learning solutions that we've always had for customers. So, um, you know, optimistic and uh, starting to see some good traction with our with our customers' uh, new volumes. Yeah, I'll just underline one point Brian made, and then um, quickly get to the uh, Amazon business point. Um, just, you know, if you think about the AWS business being an $88 billion revenue run rate business, to grow double digits on a business that size with the amount of cost optimizing that's been happening, uh, to grow double digits, you have to be adding a lot of new customers and a lot of new workloads just to grow double digits. So, it, you know, when I talked about last quarter how I liked a lot of the fundamentals that we were seeing in the business with respect to the customer pipeline, the new workloads, the migrations happening, uh, what the team was rolling out functionality-wise, um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. And as we start to see cost optima optimization attenuate um, and more of the workloads, you know, new workloads that people took those cost optimizations and actually started to plan come to fruition, you know, not to mention what's coming with generative AI, there's a lot of growth in front of us in AWS. Just on your uh, Amazon business question mark, um, you know, $35 billion uh, annual run rate for gross sales is, is, is pretty strong growth. And if, if you look at it year over year, it continues to be very strong. But I, I like the way you're thinking, Mark. And uh, it's almost like you're in some of the meetings that we're in where uh, I asked the very same question. The team is working hard to build a $100 billion-plus business over time. And I, you know, I think that uh, the business has grown to be pretty large already, and I still think we only have a fraction of the – features that we need to address more of the enterprise at this point. There's, there's all sorts of companies ordering, obviously, from Amazon Business, but the bigger procurement workloads, there are certain um, features that you need to make that much easier in the way that companies are used to buying in those big procurements. And so we have a lot of features that we're adding. We have a number of, of service pieces that we need to add. Um, really around um, helping on big buys um, do some of the service instantiations. And so we, we have a lot of functionality that we're very quickly um, adding to the mix here, but I don't think we're close to being done growing there, and that is a, a very strong area of focus for our stores team and for our senior leadership team as well. And our next question comes from the line of Brent Phil with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Thank you, Andy. Just on uh, AW, uh, sorry, AI monetization, can, can you just talk to when, when you think you'll start to see that flow into the AWS business? Is that 2024, or do you feel like the back half you'll start to see that is, is a bigger impact for the business? Yeah, 
Um, good question, Brett. Uh, what I would say is that we have had a very significant amount of business in AWS driven by machine learning and AI for several years. And you've seen that, you know, largely in the form of compute as um, customers have been doing a lot of uh, machine learning training and then running their models in production on top of AWS and their compute instances. But you've also seen it in the form of, you know, the 20 plus machine learning services that we've had out there for a few years. I think when you're talking about the big potential explosion in generative AI, which everybody is excited about, including us, I think we're in the very early stages there. We're a few steps into a marathon, in my opinion. I think it's going to be transformative, and I think it's going to transform virtually every customer experience that we know. Um, but I think it's really early. I think most companies are still figuring out how they want to approach it. They're figuring out how to train models. They want to, you know, they don't want to build their, you know, their own very large language models. They want to take other models and customize it, and, and services like Bedrock enable them to do so. But it's very early, and so I expect that will be very large, but it will be in the future. And the next question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Thanks so much for taking the question, and thanks for all the detail and the prepared remarks around framing some of those key issues. Um, Andy, maybe coming back to grocery, there's been a lot of coverage in the press around your grocery initiative in the last couple of days. When you take a step back, how much do you think about solving the grocery uh, dynamic in the business to capitalize on it the way you want is an element of things you need to build and the application of capital versus elements of executing on what's already in place and uh, sort of aligning the assets in place against the, Amazon, the scale of the Amazon Prime households in your customer base. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's a little bit of both. I mean, if I if I just step back and think about how um, how how we think about grocery, we continue to have this this very big business in non-perishables, which is where a lot of the mass merchandisers started in grocery um, several years ago. So these are areas like consumables and canned goods and pet food and beauty and health. And as I said, it's a big business that's continuing to grow. But if, if you want to be able to serve more customers, which we do, and, and there are a whole number of reasons for that, and customers want it, you have to have a strong physical presence. You know, we started with Whole Foods, which is, you know, the pioneer in organic grocery and continues to be. And we really like the way Whole Foods is growing. We've made a number of really important adjustments um, in the business. It's changed its profitability trajectory over the last year. And we really like where that's headed, and we're expanding that meaningfully. But you, if you want to be really broad, you have to have a mass physical format. We have been working on that for several years with, with Amazon Fresh. And I would say that uh, we weren't pleased with the inputs, um, the progress on the inputs there. And I, the team has worked very hard over the last year to first start on the quality of the inputs. And that goes towards the quality of what we already had in place. And these are things like the right in-stock levels, um, the right cost structure, the right um, figures on things like obsolescence, just a number of the core inputs there, we just felt like we could be sharper and better. And I think that team is made up of a lot of improvements. We have, you know, spent a lot of time thinking and rethinking how we want the formats to look, and we've just started rolling out some of those new formats, um, starting in our Chicago stores and then moving to our Southern California stores shortly thereafter. 
and you see added selection, you see added private brands, you see added um, well-known third-party brands like Krispy Kremes and, and, and coffee in, in the stores. You see a, a refined um, decor um, in the stores. Uh, you see refined dash cards that keep a running tally for people so they understand where they are at the moment, wherever they're shopping, as well as refined self-service checkouts. And all those things to me, are, are, are part of an effort we're trying to pursue to have a format in our mass uh, Amazon Fresh stores that resonate more with customers. And um, we're hopeful that we will find that format and that it gives us the type of results that give us confidence to want to expand more broadly, but we won't expand unless we see that type of resonance. We're not just going to be undisciplined. We're going to be thoughtful and disciplined about it. I do think also you know, you're starting to see across the team pulling some of the efforts together. So we have a, a number of different grocery offerings that I just talked about. Just having a converged shopping cart for customers, which they have, you know, obviously wanted, um, that I think will, will help them quite a bit. We're continuing to extend um, delivery to, to non-prime customers as well. Um, and so, you know, I think there are a, a number of opportunities for us over time to grow the business. We're, we're optimistic that we'll be able to do so, but we're also being disciplined about not expanding the physical fresh stores until we have a format that we think is more resonant with customers. And our next question comes from the line of Brian Novak with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. I have uh, two. The, the first one, uh, Andy, on the last call, last quarter, you talked about how you sort of talked about North America retail margins potentially getting to at or above pre-COVID levels. I think you just hit a margin around 4% and you're sort of talking now about investing more in grocery and expanding same day and expanding that footprint. How should we think about sort of the forward slope of North America retail margins and sort of invest in some of these new initiatives in the retail business? Then the second one on AI, how high of an investment priority is it for you to improve your own retail and device network through more AI investments, potentially through logistics or AI-based agents, et cetera? How, you know, how large is that in the overall investment priority list? Well, I'll start on the uh, North America um, retail piece, which is, you know, again, I'll, I'll just remind that um, we're not going to expand the number of fresh stores in a very significant way until we believe we have something that is resonant with customers and that we're going to like the return on invested capital. So that to me, I'm hopeful we're going to find that, but but we won't until we do. Uh, you know, I think uh, as it relates to uh, same-day facilities, we actually think that's going to be very positive for the business. It, it is, as I mentioned in my um, opening remarks, it is one of our most cost-effective mechanisms and uh, and fulfillment vehicles uh, with respect not just to getting it there to customers quickly but being fast, in part because those facilities, they're smaller facilities. They're big enough, obviously, to hold in steady state 100,000 SKUs and then also to have all of our nearby fulfillment centers be able to inject lots of different selection in there so we can cover uh, several million SKUs in, in that same day or, or one-day fashion. But but they're smaller in general. They're smaller facilities with less conveyance and with more streamlined pick directly to um, to pack and to uh, and to to get out to the dock to ship. And so they're they're just much more efficient as well. 
So we actually think that the expansion of those is going to not just help with speed and with demand, but we're going to also like the cost structure associated with that. And, I, you know, I, I continue to believe what I said last quarter, Brian, which is, you know, I do believe that um, we'll get back to margins like what we had um, uh, pre-COVID, and I don't think that's the end of what's possible for us there. Uh, on the um, on the AI question, uh, you know, what I would tell you um, is every single one of our businesses inside of Amazon, every single one, has multiple generative AI initiatives going right now. And they range from things that help us be more cost-effective and streamlined in how we run operations in various businesses to the absolute heart of every customer experience in which we offer. And so it's true in our stores business. It's true in our AWS business. It's true in our advertising business. It's true in all our devices. And you can just imagine what we're working on with, with respect to Alexa there. It's true in our entertainment businesses, every single one. It is going to be at the heart of what we do. It's a significant investment and focus for it for us. Our final question comes from the line of Doug Anmuth with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, just on AWS, as you lap optimizations and the macro-driven slowdown and you start to get the new workload deployment, how do you think about what normalized growth could look like for AWS in a better macro environment? And then secondly, uh, helpful to get the just over $50 billion CapEx number for this year. I'm just curious how generative AI changes or could change your CapEx trajectory going forward. Thanks. Well, it's a good question, and um, you know, I I I would say that um, you know, while I expect there will continue to be cost optimization, I think that um, you know the the balance of cost optimizations to actually new workloads and new migrations has you know we saw a shift in that in Q2, and I expect that we'll continue to see that shift over time and. As I said, I mean, you have, everybody has to make their own conclusions on, on, on what percentage revenue growth they believe it means. But, you know, to grow double digits on an $88 billion revenue run rate business when you're seeing that amount of cost optimization as every company in the world is trying to save as much money as they can the last year, to still grow double digits on a base that size means that we're acquiring a lot of new customers and a lot of new workloads. And, and so... You know, uh, I, I, I'm very bullish on the growth of AWS uh, over the next several years. And, you know, any one quarter, it's hard for me to predict, but I, but I am bullish about it in the medium to long term for sure. Uh, you know, I think that on the uh, how much generative AI may impact the capital expense spend, uh, you know, in, included in that number is a pretty significant amount of capital expense in the AWS business for large language models and for generative AI. And uh, we have uh, quite a bit of demand right now. And so, you know, it, it's um, like in AWS in general. One of the interesting things in AWS, and this was this has been true from the very earliest days, which is the more demand that you have, the more capital you need to spend, um, you know, because you, you invest in data centers and hardware up front, and then you monetize that over a long period of time. And so, 
Yeah, I would like to have the challenge of, of having to spend a lot more in, in capital on generative AI because it, it will mean that um, customers are having success and they're having success on top of our services. And, and um, uh, but I, you know, I think that that's our best estimate right now on that capital expense, and um, we'll update it if we find it's different. Thank you for joining us on the call today and for your questions. A replay will be available on our investor relations website for at least three months. We appreciate your interest in Amazon and look forward to speaking with you again next quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.